Everybody wants to know the truth About where I've been But it's here with you And everybody wants to laugh at love And you, well I don't mind But it's here with you Now I have often lost my peace of mind And come to find It's here with you And every time I look around to find A place I put my heart It's here with you And there's a glow coming from you Telling me to come in from the cold And I do Cause I've been slowly uncovering the old And discovering the new It's here with you It's here with you Listening to Central Vermont's very own Colin McCaffrey at WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick. When I saw your lights from down the road, that life had showed me. It's when I knew. That I'd never need to roam or ramble on Beyond the home I found Here with you There's a glow coming from you Telling me to coming from the cold And I do I've been slowly uncovering the old And discovering the new It's here with you It's here with you Good morning. I'm Erica Heilman. This is Rumble Strip, The Maiden Voyage. Thanks for joining me. On this show, I'll be talking with Central Vermonters of all kinds. Artists, road commissioners, waitresses, parole officers, teachers, parolees. It'll feature what I hope is some good conversation and also some conversational experiments. I met Colin McCaffrey through my friend Lizzie Mandel, another great Vermont songwriter who produced her first record with Colin in 2012. I had the huge honor of singing backup for Lizzie on a couple songs, which was my first foray into record production and recording. It didn't much resemble what I've seen in movies or on TV. Colin's studio is a small, cozy room in the back of his house in East Montpelier, stuffed with instruments. And Colin was a guy sitting at a computer in his socks, drinking tea. Colin is a songwriter, performer, and record producer, and he can play almost any instrument blindfolded. 
For over 20 years, he's been inspiring some of the best recorded performances in Vermont. And if you ask him how he does it, he'll say, with a lot of work and some mood management or attention to psychology. Because when you think about it, great music, particularly singing, great singing, can make you blush. It can make you cry. It can make you want to avert your eyes. And it's Colin's job to get that performance on tape. It's his job to make you sing it like you sing it in the shower and sing it right. We sat down in his recording studio in East Montpelier and talked about where songs come from and the intimate process of working with musicians to produce great recordings. Also, we talked about mushrooms. Before we hear from Colin, let's listen to a song from Made for Flying, the record Colin produced with Lizzie Mandel in 2012. This is Lizzie and Colin singing Under Lock and Key. Say those things 
that I love you so. And I always will. The way you've touched my heart. The way you make me feel. Thank you yeah, for, for great, joining me. Great to have have you here and have this opportunity. So, can you just start by talking a little bit about where you are from? Yeah, and who you're from? I'm. I was born in Southern Vermont in Brattleboro, and my mom is. Uh, I think she's a fourth generation, fifth generation Vermonter. She also has a kind of intermixing of European blood that came in here and there. Um, I, I know my my grandfather, my great grandfather, was a. Uh, was from Germany, and he moved to Brattleboro to work at the SD Organ Company as a designer engineer. He was very musical. He had a huge collection of string instruments, and his and his wife, my great grandmother, was a cello player and a flute player. And they always had, I guess, they had a very uh, consistent concert uh, or just just not jam session, but they played music every weekend in the area. And there was a, they were a big part of the musical scene back then. Uh, my dad was from New York City. He was from Jackson Heights. He's a Son of an Irish of Irish immigrants, and uh, he was very much a literary person, and very much into poetry and writing, and and also a music, big music fan. So I constantly had music and the arts in my childhood, and I also had an incredible support system from both of them about just following whatever uh, path I wanted to follow. And it was obvious by the age of six that I was very musical, because I was really into the violin. I was obsessive about the violin, actually. I, I remember being in a friend's house playing with a tin fake violin. It wasn't even real. It didn't even make any noise. And I would not put it down. My friend finally said, he just went away. He's like, I'm, I'm going to my room. I don't want to play with you anymore. And I went home and I just started begging my folks for a violin because I just, I just was mystified by it. I still am. I still love the violin. And so that kind of started me down the road of taking violin lessons. I played classical violin for about seven or eight years. Um, I also did guitar, learn some basic guitar chords, learned some basic piano. I loved I loved devices too. I loved just the gear. There was something about that that was fascinating to me. And I also just loved listening to music. I'd always put the speakers on both sides of my heads like headphones and and dive into Beethoven or Black Sabbath or any kind of like music that was that moved me. And so uh, it was pretty obvious by my senior year that I wanted to go to college for music. And so I applied to one college, and it was Berkeley College of Music. And I got in. I told my guidance counselor I'd applied to three, but I, I didn't. I only applied to Berkeley. And luckily at that point, it wasn't too hard to get into Berkeley, but it was a matter of staying in there. Do you remember? Do you have a memory of writing your first song? I have a memory of my younger brother writing a song and me being so jealous and pissed off that he got all the attention. I was, I was 
like insanely jealous. I don't, I didn't even know why. I was just like, I could do that. But part of it, the, the reality of it was for me, and my mom actually just said right out, well, go ahead and do it then. You know, if, you, if you're jealous, you go write a song. And that's, it was a very good lesson. Like, you know, if, if you think you could do that, go do it and shut up and stop complaining about the, and being jealous and pissed off at the person who did create something. How old were you? Uh, I was probably like seven or eight at that point. So do you remember? I don't remember actually at that point, I probably tried to do something, but it was like a, you know, it was, a, it was, it was an attempt that was fueled by jealousy and malice. <laughs> So it didn't, yeah, it's a great start, yeah. But I didn't really, you know, it didn't really pan out. And I I think I was probably in, even in junior, sophomore, junior year of high school when I started writing songs, per se, as in lyrics right. with melodies. Most of what I'd done before that was instrumental. I was very much focused on, you know, playing lead guitar or, or singing in band, but not, I never really had written songs until about my senior year. And did you know when when you undertook that, did you know... When you were writing songs with lyrics, do you remember the... I mean, because when you were first developing your process yeah. of writing songs, I'd be curious to know how that happened. Yeah, I think it was It did. It was kind of coming from the musical standpoint of writing melodies and writing and having some kind of structural chord progression or vibe that was set up by the harmony of whatever I'd come up with and then applying lyrics to it after the fact. I think over the years it's changed. I, I try to write in many different ways and leave myself wide open to having a lyric come to me first or uh, or sometimes it's just picking up a guitar and noodling around with chords and finding something that way. But I've found that um, the better, what I consider to be my better material is written without any instruments in my hand and me just singing like I'm driving back home from a gig late at night and I get an idea, I just start singing it and writing it in my head, not even writing on paper. And... I think that's trained me to, I mean, I, mean the, the, I always think of like paper and all these computer, whatever, a guitar, these are all things that are an extension of what's trying to come out creatively from inside. So I think that the illusion sometimes is that they're the things that are creating the work, but it's not. It's something that's internal. And I think the more that I've tried to expand what I write on, whether it's a piano or a guitar or a violin or just my pure singing voice or... It, it it brings me back in touch with the reality that this, this, the source of this is from inside me and much of what I hear in my head is where it's coming from. So I'm trying to find different ways to tap into that what the, it, is, that's a, is a my very, goal. That's a um, kind of a mysterious process to It me. is, yeah. And I wonder if you can describe that at all. How mm-hmm. I mean, it, maybe it's impossible to articulate. Yeah, well, and I think just coming from the angle of like picking up a guitar and maybe putting a capo on it to get yourself away from where you're used to hearing things and then just playing a little, a little progression, maybe two chords next to each other, you start to create some kind of emotional universe that you can start to swim around in and see if there's anything that's coming out of that. But you definitely need to have that non-critical state of mind where you're not you're just letting things occur and then you're not judging them which is almost like a meditative state which i think is part of the when i feel like i'm really in the zone as a writer is what i really get out of it is this feeling of just being in a very creative state where there's no judgment but at the same time there's certain filters that i've over the years having written songs i start to apply like okay that there's a melody and now i need some syllables to go with that or um, so that that's one thing. That's like kind of the swimming around in the soup songwriting thing where you just kind of let stuff come to you. There's also, you know, I'll hear somebody say a really funny phrase or a really, you know, poignant phrase. And it's got a certain musicality to it, the way it's been said. And there's also some kind of 
underlying philosophical or emotional import to, to the way it was said that I then say, wow, that would make a great song. So I try to take that and then, you know, use that as a reference to use that kind of universe that it's set in vibration, just that one phrase and try to capture that and start trying to frame it. So it's almost like in that, in that approach, it's more like you've got this jewel. It's a rough jewel that then you could either start cutting this way or you could cut it that way, or you could set it in this kind of setting, or you could set it in that kind of setting or like a painting, you know, you could frame it this way. You could use your perspective this way. Here's, here's a concept. Here's an overarching concept of the composition, but how, how do I frame it? Do I frame it for a three minute pop song or do I make it into a, you know, a musical or, you know, there's all kinds of parameters you can start to apply or there's all kinds of roads you can go down with any idea. And you also, there's times when you get to the end of the road or whatever road you've chosen and it's obvious it's a, the song's a piece of shit. <laughs> so you got to start over again, maybe just throw the whole thing out. You know, I've had situations where I've written what I thought was the brilliant verse, and that's the one I got threw out in the end because right. it wasn't doing what it needed to do. Or I've just come to situations where it just sounds too mechanical. I've made too many decisions down the line that were based on kind of cliche or formulaic, my, my own idiosyncrasies in terms of how I'd structure something. They just drive me nuts sometimes. It's like, oh, not again, the same stupid refrain and structure. And here's here comes the bridge, you know. Like I have to let myself not not worry about too much about an end product. Like nobody has to hear this thing. If right. it ends up being a piece of shit, it's a piece of shit. I can put it down and go somewhere else. And you never know. I might be able to come back and mine that for that one verse, which actually had a good idea in it, you know. One thing I tell people that I work with as, as songwriters is that the key is to just get to a, vol a point of volume where if you put out so much that you're not so attached to those three songs you've written and you're not so scared to start hacking those babies up into pieces and, and re reshuffling things. Then talk a little bit about uh, that the more ephemeral aspects of that relationship with another songwriter when you're in this room, your recording studio, and you're working with them, and you are trying to have a really needing to have a really candid communication with them about what they're trying to make, and you're trying to help them kind of make it happen. Yeah, it's an incredibly vulnerable. It state. is the most. Yeah. So how do you do it? I just think about what what would I say to myself in this situation, and having been in that same situation with producers or with people I've been co-writing with, or yeah, the classic thing is to start with the good stuff. I love what's going on here in the verse. I love the melody in the chorus, and because you do have to act, you, you do have to acknowledge that stuff. It's not just buttering them up. It's a matter of saying, "This is really beautiful. This is so strong. I love the way this is doing this." And when you say that, then you can say, but the thing that's not making that work anymore is the second verse, this line here, you're suddenly saying that you're you're happy, but I thought you were sad in the first verse and the second <laughs> verse and like right. those kind of things. Right. Those People can see that that way because we are then getting into purely mechanics and just talking about, I'm not attacking them personally, I'm just talking about what is this character feeling? What is the story, where's the story going? How can we make it better? Many, many times, many, many times I've We've gotten to the point where we've gotten the song crafted out enough that they don't stumble every time they hit this line or that line, or they know how they're going to sing, exactly how they're going to sing that syllable there and this word there and where the melody is going. So if we get through all that stuff, and then we get to the point where they're starting to try to sing the song themselves, we'll often run into more difficulties that we hadn't seen before because I can hear them struggling with trying to either stay in their character or 
with maybe where we wrote the, the, the key that we put this in and when they're really trying to belt it out for real, it's not working or. That's a really, though, it's an incredibly, talking about somebody being able to sing, like really sing into what they've written or sit, just sing into a song. Isn't it, I mean, like the, it's an incredibly, um, well, it's a really private thing. It seems to me, yes. I mean, it can be a really private thing, but you're sitting in a really small room with you yeah, and you're trying to get somebody to arrive in, you know, into this phrase. And there's something about that that's incredibly intimate. Oh, it's, it gets intense, but I, there's been moments where it's been, I mean, it has to get intense for you to get that final product to grab someone by the nuts and like, whoa, that right. song's amazing. Right. Well, the reason that song's amazing is that person was in the zone and I was on top of it. I had, all the levels were right. The mic was just <laughs> right. Like all these things, like right. oh, the production's just right. They didn't have too much crap going on behind them. Like those are, those are the moments when it's, it's compelling and it came across, but you're not going to get compelling if you don't get in there and dig around. And, and that's, it can be very, really uh, intimate is a perfect word for it because you kind of start seeing sides of people that they don't show anybody. And I think music and art do that, especially singing is an incredibly soul bearing, especially if it's done properly, a soul bearing activity. And it's like one of the most primal forms of human expression. Some people say it came before language even. I sometimes think that that language and song are like one thing that this is vocalization and you're, you're making a noise and you're, you're often you're just saying syllables instead of even meaning. And there's something much, far more primal to that. So yes, it does pull you into a zone where it can be very challenging. I, I've had like working with my daughter, both of them sing, but Carrie wrote a bunch of songs over the years, and we've had intense situations. I think partly because we're, mom, we're you know dad and daughter that we're you know we're able to just get to the point. She's just bawling and like I can't do this. I'm like you can do it. I can't do this. I hate this. And like you know, but we've gotten great stuff out of it. Oh, I've had people cry, and I've had people sing so beautifully that I started bawling. The song's just like, they got it, like something right. killed me, and it's just like, oh, my God. But like you said, it, you know, it's a really intense thing. It can be a very, very um, intimate and sometimes difficult relationship. <laughs> yeah. When, when yeah. you knew you were talking earlier about songwriting, is songwriting similar to other kinds of writing? I mean, do you suffer from the same uh, bouts of of uh, self-loathing and self doubt yes, <laughs> imposters <laughs> yeah no i tell right. people that never got i don't know if anyone who's made that go away and i think it's the yin and yang of the creative life is you have to accept that critic is there and that critic might be really full of baloney sometimes but you got to remember that some of what that critic is saying might be valid and i i think this is why people turn to drugs or whatever because we cannot sometimes face that other side of ourselves that's that's crit critiquing and I, I think it's like it's like i say yin and yang because i think it is a balance ultimately you need to you need to let that voice be there you get it <laughs> the reality is it's going to be i haven't figured out how to get rid of it you know it's, yeah. it's there it's going to be there i just figured out how to keep busy with other things and let it just you know okay you go over and natter in the corner to yourself but i'm going to keep doing this right. But yeah, my wife is a as a novelist, and she's been writing short stories and novels for years now. And we we have a lot of great conversations about the whole process because it's not much different. We provide that support when the one person's feeling like they're an imposter, or you know, <laughs> you know, it's just, why did I ever get, even ever get into this business to begin with? Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, and I tell, like I try to tell people, you know, it, this is why not everyone's a songwriter, not everyone's a novelist, because this part sucks. This is not going to go away. Yeah, that so, voice isn't going to change. Yeah. So there are there also um, evasion techniques, or or I mean, do you find yourself suddenly being compelled to do your taxes when? You... Oh yeah. Oh, I got to check my email. I forgot to check my email. I haven't done that in like forty seconds. So I better do that now. Or I, I yeah, I need another cup of tea. I'm gonna get up another get another. Cup of tea. <laughs> But I think it's understand it. Yeah, that's totally. I think that's part of the process too. I, I, I having worked in schools for years, it's like you know, you can't get a, a thirty kids in a classroom to sit down in a forty-five minute time span and focus on anything, much less writing a song, which I've done a lot of that with, without just letting them wander. You got to like, okay, let them get up and go look out the window. I mean, when I'm writing, I'll just go outside and go for a walk and write, you know, in my head. Let, and sometimes I have to just let it go five minutes, think about something else, come back to it. So I think that's totally natural. And I think it's important not to think like, oh my God, my I'm so scattered. I must have ADHD because I can't focus for more than you know, 10 seconds on this idea. I don't think anybody can. Maybe the Dalai Lama might be able to or some some meditative master. But I, I, honestly, I think we get to accept that part of our consciousness and actually value it for, you know, I wouldn't have an idea flitting in the window if I didn't leave my window open. So I got to let myself wander a little bit. The creative process ultimately comes down to being willing to just give yourself time to both be focused and also to be not focused. Because when we sit down, we're like, okay, I've got my pencil sharpened. I'm at my table. got my cup of tea. The sun's coming in the window. The bluebird's, you know, eating at the feeder. And God, here we go. Come on, inspiration. You know, you can't – That those are, these are externalizations of some kind of – we think we can kind of hocus-pocus create creativity and create inspiration. Well – I don't know. I think that's also limiting ourselves because we're thinking I have to do it in this one location. If I don't have my cup of tea, which I'm guilty of this one, then I can't create. <laughs> or, you know, if I don't have a sharp pencil, I got to go sharpen all my pencils now because this one's not sharp. <laughs> you know? Well, talk about the, I mean, like what is the, the, most people who are, most people are not songwriters and most people are not record producers. If you had to talk about kind of, yeah, how, how you move through the day, for if sure. we're looking at you from a bird's eye view, what would that be? Yeah, well, the songwriter will come in, let's say, and uh, oh, I got three songs. We got like six hours, whatever. Let's. Uh, I mean, ideally, we've had a little time pre-producing. Whereas I've listened to the songs in their state that they give them to me in some kind of rough work tape, like they just record it into iTunes on their Mac, uh, their laptop or something like that. So I have a basic idea of how they want the song to go. So they'll come in. We'll have the lyrics. Maybe we'll tw- have tweaked the lyrics already. I'll have, may have, maybe su- suggested a few tweaks. And we'll sit down and say, okay, let's just sing the song right now. You and I, I'll play the guitar or whatever, and uh, we're going to go from the very start of the song to the very end. We're not going to stop. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to explain anything. We're just going to play the whole freaking song all the way through so I can get a sense of the whole movement of it. One thing that drives me nuts is when people like, well, here's this is how the verse goes. I play like part of the verse, and then the rest of it's just like that. And then the chorus is kind of like, <laughs> it's like, dude, I don't, you know, it's like, and it's like describing a painting. Well, there's some like red over here in the corner, and then he uses red somewhere else, and there's green. But you know, you get the idea. There's like a you know face, you know. <laughs> so I get him to just let's just sit down, do the whole song from start to finish, get in that song, and try to feel what's going on, and then there can be arcs of real highs and real lows. Sometimes people will lay down a scratch vocal that's just gorgeous. And I'm like, well, that's that's a keeper to my ear. That's beautiful. It, it all depends on the level of production too. If, if we're doing a pop song with uh, drums and bass and electric guitars and synths and keys and all that kind of stuff and background vocals, you know, it may take us a while till we get to that feeling of, wow, we're really doing it because you don't, you're just hearing skeletons, at least initially. 
Whereas if it's a very simple folk song or a just an acoustic song with a singer and a guitar, and then you're just adding a few more instruments to just to kind of to flesh out the arc of the song or the or the dynamic of the song, then you can sometimes hear it right off the bat. And I always I always feel like if I can get a great keeper vocal out of someone or a scratch, great scratch vocal, it's even close to being keeper. That's the best because then I've got something to work around, mm-hmm. and they can always come back and re-sing that vocal. But if I don't have that, I'm not, I'm I'm responding to something that's in that vocal track. If it's not there, I'm just kind of I'm trying to make up more content than is actually being contained in the voice. And I think that's one thing I try to encourage people to realize is that their voice is what's really selling the whole thing. It's it's the vocal and the the melody that's doing the job. The lyrics got to do the job. All that stuff's got to work. You take it out, it's boring. There's nothing there. It's just a guitar track and then maybe a few other instruments playing, but there's no, there's no substance. If, if you rewind for a minute, you know, you talked about the arc of a day as a producer. If you get up in the morning and you know you've got, you don't have anything, anybody coming in that day, and you're going to, you have sort of half a mind at least to do some songwriting that day. What does that look like? Oh, it's even harder when I'm on my own. If I have a client coming in who's paying me money to sit down and talk about songs and work on right, songs, right. that's that's uh, that's heaven. But when it's on my own, it's very hard. It's got to be a really compelling idea. I guess the way I would sit, I would rephrase that is that I do my best to keep the songwriting radio station always on. Like the radio is always turned on. And I'm waiting for something to come in. It doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing. It's all, I'm always receptive. And maybe I had an idea that I was just messing with in my head yesterday. Maybe I will have a, actually have a take some time, like 10 minutes to sit down with a guitar and maybe flesh that out or on the piano. Or maybe I'll go for a walk and continue to work on that idea. So I try to make it part of my every moment kind of reality. But I, I think that's also a way to get around this feeling of, again, having to have your pencil sharp and your T and your uh, the setting has to be just right or I'm just not in the mood. You know, like, I think that that's a limitation that I've learned is something I shouldn't put on myself. At the same time, it's really great if I can do that regularly. And I do, I do create that situation where I can be inspired or I have even more of them to be inspired because I've, all got, I've got all the tools right within reach. Right. So I, effectively, that's what I do every day with clients or with songwriters or you know, when I'm producing and just doing overdubs on my own. It's like, oh, this is so great. I jump out of bed in the morning like, okay, I've got to do this on this track. And you know, I've got all these long list of great stuff I, I, can, I just can't wait to dive into. And I'm on my own recording. You know, so that's, that's another great aspect of my work people trust me to just do what i do and you know before i spend a huge amount of money i send them ideas to this is what it, this is what it's starting to sound like is this working for you and before i start going down this road and like it's just it, i've developed a lot of trust over the years and and respect from people to let just let me do my job like that which is really great being self-employed to be able to do that i mean it's great to work with people but it's also really nice to have a day where i can be in my underwear and being doing doing overdubs for people's records now everyone's going to think of me in my underwear when I'm, <laughs> they hear that fiddle track on that song that i did <laughs> but yeah there's there are, you're not when you're but when you're not when you're not recording yeah. when you don't come into this room well the problem is that you know then you're dealing with all the emails and you're dealing with all the <laughs> paperwork and it's just there's so much crap you got to do with it i mean it's, it's luckily it's something i like to do but the, like that's what the, that's the reality of work you may make something your job and there's going to be a level like what i call the cucka ratio like the ratio is going to be there of stuff you don't want to do necessarily but you're going to have to do mm-hmm. you got to keep up your books you got to keep up your invoicing you've got to keep track of 
hours for so and so. You got to keep, you know, you got to call the drummer and make sure he's still available for that session. Oh, that one canceled. It's like those. And then being a gig musician on top of that, you're you know booking gigs and none of them are paying any money. So <laughs> you're like working for nothing in that department. And you're trying to sell your own music and you're still trying to find time to record your own music and and write. So yeah, I think it, I can't say that I'm very disciplined about it. But the other thing is I. I have hours of the day that I can go out in the woods and pick wild mushrooms or just be, just go out and be nothing and do nothing or sing a song in my head or write something in my head. Or So I'm very flexible in that way. And my life is really rewarding in that way. I feel like that a huge part of me is not just identified with music in this room. It's actually like more of me sometimes is dedicated to what's right outside my window and these woods and like the, the, my surrounding valley and just this I, I have a really strong connection to the to the earth and to being outside it sounds all kind of pseudo mystical but it's just the reality for me i i go nuts if i don't get outside and and move around and hunt and fish and pick things and you know just poke around <laughs> writing a song or trying to get to the essence of some kind of musical idea that I'm getting it's much like hunting or fishing or foraging or you have to you have to kind of muddle around a little bit you got to look in different places and uh, explore different angles of looking at things to get to something and I think the correspondence with let's say picking mushrooms is something I've been doing for decades now you get a visual imprint upon your brain upon your neural network of of what a mushroom looks like, for example, what it tastes like. You know, this the chanterelle, these an ex- as an example, it's a beautiful creamy orange color. It looks so beautiful when it's, you know, against bright green moss and underneath a fir tree or something. And so initially, this, there's this discovery of this thing, this beautiful thing, which might be a melodic fragment or a uh, or a beautiful trout pool. There might be something sitting in there, and then you start to you start to look around and see where did this thing come out of? What is, like in the case of mushrooms, you understand, oh, there's a certain topography I'm getting now. There's a certain kind of tree that it likes. And I know that if I look, you know, do this long enough, I know that if I look down there, I'm going to find this certain thing. And, you know, especially again with mushrooms, you, you, you just learn, ha- you learn the habitat, you learn where they exist. And it's so rewarding when you start to have that, uh, what seems like gut feeling, which I think is, yeah, it could be called that, but I think there's actually some kind of subconscious neural connections that are being made in a very primal way that's that's processing all this information and saying, okay, there's a pattern here. We found a reward at the, when we when we were in this pattern sequence that's around us in terms of the kind of trees or the shape of the land or the moisture. And so I know after a certain point, this is where I'm going to find something. But uh, I think this could be I'm, I'm probably this is probably a stretch to correspond to songwriting and music but i think it's still kind of the same the reward cycle is the same that you you create this in the, in the, and in the songwriting world i think it's like you're creating different habitats like oh this is a really cool idea here's like this little thing i like and i'd like to i'd like to make it expand itself into a song idea but how am i going to set that what habitat do i need to put this organism into to make it come come to life and 
and I think, okay, getting getting to the whole thing of like timelessness or time stopping and also mindlessness, I think in some people would say mindfulness, maybe it's mindlessness, but it's like without thinking quite often you'll you'll run onto these things. And I think I, I found that about foraging or hunting is that without thinking, I follow my nose, so to speak, to a certain thing. And it's like, I, I can't believe how many times it's so weird. I've been like walking up a hill and I'll just decide like something makes me just turn 90 degrees and walk over to this tree and there's suddenly there's all these mushrooms or you know there's suddenly the bird that I was looking for or whatever it's so many times that's happened and I I don't I don't necessarily think it's mystical I just think it's this weird connection that I've developed to the, the having been so familiar to the settings that I've been in that I find these things and I think the same thing can be applied to creativity if you if you are always in that setting you'll start to understand and re- recognize patterns and places where things want to flow where things don't flow where you're going to find inspiration where you're not what might be the best way to channel this inspiration where you know because there's so many things i could do with any line or any melody i could turn into a classical piece it's 20 minutes long i could turn it into a three minute pop pop song i'd turn it into a fiddle tune there's there's so many possibilities so what's the best way that i can uh then take that idea or that concept and move it into a into a growing state where it becomes something more than just its initial kind of little seed. The whole stopping time thing is critical. I have to just let my mind wander and not think and not over-rationalize anything because I think that, that more often gets in the way. So it is like a form of meditation for me, certainly, all these things. I think it could be said for a lot of things. I think people don't necessarily recognize that about what they do. I, I, I find doing things with my hands is incredibly mind-quieting. You know, working, a, weeding a garden is incredibly therapeutic for people. I think there's a lot of people that could be said, you know, tradesmen, who tradeswomen and men who, who do things with their hands or mechanical things. There must be such beauty to working on a car, like just knowing... Like, if I just fix this, then this will work, and then this will work. That's great. There must be so rewarding. There's no equivocating. It's like you either fix the damn carburetor or you don't. If you don't fix it, the car won't run. If you do fix it, it will run. Like, sometimes, like, (laughs) the equivocating over, should we have a banjo in this section, or should we have a violin, or what key will it be in? Oh, God. I just wish it was, like fixing a carburetor sometimes but it's also that's the fun of it is that there are so many possible parameters there's also you could put in a you know you could put in a new engine you could put in the hot rod <laughs> giant <laughs> tires and a really cool glass yeah, pack muffler paint <laughs> yeah paint it red so there's all kinds of possibilities there too you know one thing i wanted i wanted to ask you now that you've been you came back you went to like 1990 right was when yeah. you when you came back up here and now it's been, I don't know, over 20 23 years. 23 years, yeah. So if you look back over the last 20 years, what surprises you about the life you made? I just, I'm always surprised about how all the little things that I did when I was 12 or 14 or 7 years old, whatever, all those things were <laughs> informing me to now. They, like they brought me here. Like the fact that I was doing recording, at, you know, in my young adult years and I had gone to a workshop and the summer to record. This is back before digital was even happening. The CD had just kind of come out when I, it was 1983 when I first did this recording. So it was all tape back then. So as I look at, I look back at it all from now, it all totally makes sense that all these things I did and how they all have brought me to here. And I think it's not necessarily choices I feel like I made solely from within. I think it's parameters that were placed upon me, limitations were placed upon me by my choice to live, move back to Vermont and, and live here because 
And I'm not, this is what I don't, I hate people saying like, oh, I came back to Vermont. It's so hard to be a musician here. It's so easy somewhere else. It's not. It's, it sucks anywhere you go. New York City is just <laughs> as bad and Nashville is just as hard as anywhere else. I just love Vermont. I love being here. So why not do it here where I love it? I know it's going to suck in Boston. You know, it's going to suck just as bad anywhere else in terms of being difficult and having things that I don't want to deal with and you have to struggle to develop a career. But so I, I disagree hardly with people that say you have to move to a city to do it. I, that's bullshit. You can, you can be wherever you want. You got to be in a place where you feel like you're developing and culturing, uh, acculturating something out of yourself that's, to me, an extension of happiness in the landscape. If you're not happy where you live, then I think you're compromising your career. So I think, you know, like I said, some of those decisions that I made seem to be external, but I, you know, I, I th think in the long run, I'm happy living where I live and doing what I do. And I've got a wife who feels the same way about what she's doing. She's chosen to either write or to teach writing. And we both are passionate about those things. We also have neighbors and friends all around us who are passionate about whatever they're into. Quite often there's, there's artists and poets and all these people that we live around. And we're really lucky to have a community like that. I feel like it's a very strong community here. And I'm sure there's communities like that everywhere else in the world. New York and Boston and Timbuktu and Madison, Wisconsin, who knows? I mean, this, but I, I just feel like this is the one I love and I love the landscape here. So um, I think what you're seeing is 23, 23 years out from graduating from Berkeley, you're seeing someone who's happy having moved back to where they've moved back to and, you know, having chosen, doing the life they've chosen. Um, <laughs> just as an aside though, it gets a little tiresome when people come and say, oh, it must be so great to do what you love every day. And, oh, it's just wonderful. It's like, you know, it sucks. My muffler went just like your muffler went on your car last year. And, you know, don't be lulled into thinking just because I'm self-employed and doing music. It's, it's, again, all rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. It's not, it's not all pretty all the time. What do you think your most um, – what are the biggest kind of risks that, you, that you're taking now? What are you thrilling to, but that also is like, oh, can I do it? Is there any? Oh, yeah. Well, I think the fundamental thing is, is do people really want to listen to this? <laughs> does it, does, are they really going to care about this, what I'm saying? See, so you still. Oh, yeah. It still goes on. I think it's, I think especially in our ageist, somewhat ageist culture and, and adolescent obsessed culture, I think that's always an issue, especially for marketability. It's just. We, we have to face as a, as a male musician, you know, when I hit 30, I was already kind of over the hill for, by Nashville standards, certainly, you know, and I think, you know, the hip kind of young culture, if you're over 25, you're already starting to kind of push it. I'm not saying that this dictates what I think about in my creative life, but it, you know, there's a certain degree of marketability that you have to have. You have to be, you know, I'm, my demographic is basically women from like 20 to about 70 is my, you know, who like crooners, you know, or like, who like country songs. Like uh -huh. that's, that's just the reality of it. I don't sing a lot of like rock and hardcore rock and roll. So I'm not going to appeal to a lot of young men, you know, and, and I think it's more middle-aged women ultimately is what it's coming down to. So like, I'm, I'm okay with that in terms of me, myself as an artist. That's fine with me. I like middle-aged women. That's the, that's my demographic. So, you know, but it's like, you have to, you do have to be kind of realistic about it at the same time. That does inform what the choices you're kind of making. Do I want to do a whole record of kazoo instrumentals? I don't know about that. Who's going to buy a whole record of kazoo instrumentals? Now, I'm being somewhat facetious, but that is kind of what dictates what you do. You know, am I going to put out a bluegrass record? I could, but 
you know, am I going to be any better or more sellable than the guys up in Burlington are doing the same thing or, you know, but then there's also a freedom that comes with the creative output of not giving crap what your demographic is. If you have the freedom to just create something that's might be only a, uh, interesting to a very small swath of people, which in a sense is kind of what I've been doing anyway <laughs> as an artist. Once you kind of come to grips with that and come to peace with it, it's freeing because it allows you to do whatever you want stylistically. I'm definitely a chameleon in a lot of ways, and maybe that's the reason I haven't chosen to become an artist as much as a producer because I feel like as a producer I can do all these different styles and have fun and enjoy them and do them well. And do, you, I, do you feel like your your the content your song content radically shifted when you became a father? Yeah, I think everything, the whole universe, radically shifted. It was the best thing for me especially as an artist, as a creator. People say, oh, my God, I wish I could do that. I just have kids. And like, well, for me, it was a compulsion. And, and instead of uh, screwing around when I had free time, when I had free time, suddenly I was like, whoa, I got like a half an hour of time. I'm going to go sit down and write or I'm going to go play my guitar because it just clarifies a lot of your priorities really quickly. It just it just cuts you right to the quick in terms of your energy, too. I mean, luckily we did it. We, we were fairly young. Laura was just out of college, poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like 25, so. But we were in a great place to do it, and we just did it, and we scraped by. And the beautiful thing about it was this, we kind of raised our careers at the same time as we did our children. We luckily had another person who was doing a similar pursuit, and we provided that support, but at the same time, I don't. Shoot, there's no way Laura could put up with me if she was a musician. I can't. I don't know. She would probably hate living with me and being married to me because I'm such a, you know, I am that nitpicky bastard in my head. And so I don't think we would have gotten along if it was two musicians. I know that, um, but she's as it is. She puts up with me anyway. But you know, the fact that they're they're similar di- disciplines, but they're separate enough that they they have the same kind of issues you have to deal with all the time that provide a really great support system. And then what's so rewarding is that my daughter is now graduating from high school and she's applied to acting schools and that's what she wants to do. And it's like, God, I cannot think of anything I'd rather have her do than than do something artistic like that. My other daughter is very much into visual arts and acting and singing as well. So back to the more specific to the songwriting is that I think what having children does for you, first of all, is it, it gets you out of that idiotic worldview. It, it, it necessitates you stop thinking about yourself so much. And I think of infant, what I call infantile songwriting, which some people may disagree with me or find this insulting, but I just find people that staring at their belly buttons, writing about their pain and all the things they've gone through and really not looking at the craft as much as just getting the emotion out and being this kind of caterwauling emotional thing there's a there's a place for that kind of music it's just i don't identify with it i find it annoying and grating i think partly because it is that lack of consciousness outside of the self it's it's total self-consciousness in some ways it's just it's so limited whereas having a child forces you to start perceiving and loving things you know maybe if you're lucky you have a partner like a spouse who you love in that way but even that is not the same thing as having a child because there's a visceral primal level that you're dealing with as a parent something happens hormonally or i don't know what it is that you would kill to protect that little organism and you love that thing so much you know that's there's no way to explain that it's just it's a, such a biological shift that happens and i think it's very important that well, I, I shouldn't say that we all should all have kids. I just, it's, I think it's important to recognize that as artists, it is a really valuable thing to have that sense of yourself be extended into a, a broader 
triangulated or quadrangulated or more sense of family. And I think you immediately reach, start reaching back to your parents and trying to look at that and develop, redevelop re those relationships and get yourself outside of your own little world, I think. And as a writer, there's a certain point where you cannot keep writing about your belly button <clears throat> or the scar on your left hand. There's just, it's, first of all, I don't want to listen to it. You're going to lose your demographic of anybody who wants to listen to you. You got to start writing about something other than yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think it's almost like acting, whereas, or as a writer, as a novelist, you, you start having to write other characters. Your, your first novel may have characters that are very strongly, you identify very strongly with the protagonist or maybe the antagonist or whatever, but there's, you know, <laughs> there's parts of yourself that may really be very clearly yourself, whereas I think the more you do this kind of thing, you start to get outside your own identity and you start to, I think it's, you learn empathy and you learn sympathy and you learn how this character might actually feel. So what would this character sing if they were feeling this? This is what you have to do, ultimately, is you have to get outside yourself. You cannot be Colin, the white guy with a guitar anymore. You gotta be somebody else or something else, I feel like, to get to something that is just not the same old song written by Colin. You know? yeah. And uh, it's, it's a quandary that many of us face as, as a craftsman, in, whether it's writing or songwriting, you have to think from another character's point of view. And I, I've, I think it's a valuable thing. And I think having children has always strengthened that part of my uh, sense of reality. It's just like, okay, it's not just about me. And maybe that kid's feeling really pissed off right now. And let me see if I can feel what she would feel. And how, how would I sing that if I were her? You know, that kind of thing. You start to have a different appreciation for other states of consciousness besides your own. Thanks so much oh, for yeah. talking My to pleasure, me. Eric. Yeah, it's been great. You've been listening to songwriter and producer Colin McCaffrey. You can learn more about him and his music at his website, colinmccaffrey.com. You're listening to WGDR Plainfield at 91.1 and WGDH Hardwick at 91.7 in North Central Vermont and streaming live at WGDR.org. This is Rumble Strip and I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks for listening this morning. I'll be back with another show in two weeks. Next week, stay tuned for Living Hero with Jari Chevalier. Here's a little more Colin McCaffrey to take us to the top of the hour. I'm gonna run up Hunger Mountain And lay my body bare Wash it in that fountain of water cold and clear I'm gonna sing away my troubles I'm gonna make that mountain ring And when I run down Hunger Mountain I won't be carrying a thing In the spring when water's raging 
in the cold, still holding on. I put my feet in the mud, feel that river in my blood, and I'm gonna run into summer sunlight. Be when that brook trout is following the fly, and my daughter's on my back, cornbread in the sack. We're gonna run. I'm gonna run up the mountain, lay my body bare, wash it in the fountain of water, cold and clear. I'm gonna sing away my troubles. Gonna make that mountain ring, and when I run down from the mountain, won't be carrying a thing. When those tired leaves start turning, burning down the mountainside, I put my cider in the kegs, me and my two legs gonna run. Into winter's long dark shadow, beech leaves are rattling in the breeze. Brooks frozen still, coyote on the hill wants me to run. I'm gonna run up Hunger Mountain, lay my body bare, wash it in the fountain of water. Body sleeping deep within that mountainside. In my robe of white, following that light, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run up on the mountain, lay my body bare, wash in the fountain of water, cold and clear. I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna make that mountain ring, and when I run down Hunger Mountain, I won't be carrying a thing. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna
Till the fun is over After we've drunk all the wine After the music's done After we've danced one last time You'll still be mine You'll still be mine After a cold October After the long winter time After the green of spring When summer birds cease to sing And autumn leaves us behind You'll still be mine You'll still Slipping away from my mind You'll still be mine You'll still be mine After the world stops turning After the stars fade away After the ghosts are gone And angels come to take us home After the end of time You'll still be mine You'll still be mine. You'll still be mine.